welcome to the Farming on Purpose podcast. Today's challenges in agriculture are new, but the grit and determination required to be successful have been handed down for generations. On the Farming on Purpose podcast, we preserve the ag heritage and traditions we built our identity on while pursuing the American dream of multi-generation farms that innovate for the future. Listen along as we share stories of how farmers and ranchers are building legacies, both in their business and their character, for the sake of those they'll pass the reins to. I'm your host, Lexi Wright, and I'm excited to talk with you about the financial, generational, and production challenges facing producers in the ag industry today. This podcast is brought to you by Back Pocket Social Marketing. And yes, this is Lexi here. This podcast has been a real passion project for me. All the time that goes into interviewing guests, editing, and producing the show is sponsored by my freelance marketing agency. We specialize in website design, social media advertising, content creation and management, and email marketing. If you like to take a foundational approach to your marketing and figure out exactly what's working for you and what's not, and really focus on efficiency, then you would be a great candidate to work with us. You can reach out and talk with us more at Lexi at BackPocketSocial.com. We would love to help you solve your marketing challenges. All right. Well, welcome back to Farming on Purpose. I am really excited to have Lori Bruce from Bruce's Bullseye Farms here today. Um, I've met Lori a couple of times, but we were at a conference together this spring and I heard her you talking about food access in a way that I thought was very unique in a way that doesn't get talked about enough. So I'm really excited just to hear more about your story today and talk more about that with you. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. Yes. I'm Lori Bruce, Bruce's Bullseye Farms. We are a first generation farm and you know, I just kind of learn as I go, I feel like sometimes. But um, so my husband and I have been married 30 years. We um, have three kids. They're all grown. So really, it's just me and him on the farm. We also run a commercial kitchen. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Awesome. Well, I know you guys have had crazy growth over the last few years in everything that you're doing and taking on there. Um, tell me a little bit about what your life was like before becoming a first generation farmer and what drew you to decide to go down this path? Well, before um, I was a stay at home mom with my kids and I just um, I really, you know, that was that was my, I guess, job. I know that's not a, a good way to put it, but that was my job. I just love being with my kids. But there was always this underlying dream that my husband and I, we wanted to have land. Now, what we want to do with that land, we didn't really want it. We, we didn't know. We knew we wanted to, you know, have our own food. And then, you know, if we had a little bit left over, you know, for a neighbor or whatever. So, so we started with some backyard gardens, you know, we had the kids at home and we just kept looking for that piece of property we could call our own. We were, we were on an acre and a half and then we found the farm and we decided to jump in both feet, you know, just, you know, not a toe in the water type of move. We just jumped in. And so we started with just chickens and then, um, it just kind of grew from there. I mean, we don't, I don't feel like we have a lot. I mean, especially, you know, it, but it's hard to, I guess, stack because we want to, you know, you always want to compare like the person next to you, but it's like, okay, this is our farm. We are truly first generation. We're doing what we can with what we have. And our goal is to be fully self-sustainable and have a little bit of extra. 
That's awesome. So what was it that made you guys seek that out? You said you wanted to be able to grow your own food. What is it that makes you passionate about that? It just tastes better. And I like to know, you know, I don't know. I want to know where my food comes from. And I just, it's, you know, fresh, it's healthy. It's, um, you know, you just have that sense of satisfaction if you do it yourself also. And it just, um, it's just an amazing, I don't know, just to look at, you know, like we have just a few black Angus cows and just to see the, the baby born on the farm and it just, you know, it becomes part of the family and we take care of it now and we help sustain it because we know later it's going to help sustain us. So it's just this cycle of life and, and watching and viewing and just this, it's just satisfying. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> What's the uh, learning curve been like there as a first generation farmer? Did you or your husband have any experience doing farming prior to that? Um, You know, a lot of it was just I grew up in a rural community, so observation, you know, it was just, you know, seeing what other people are doing and then asking the right questions and then just a desire to learn. Never stop learning. I don't care how old you are, never stop learning. And also just, I have a fascination with food. I love food. So, you know, um, then my husband, he grew up in Southern Arkansas. They had some acreage, you know, like his mom grew a big garden. They had maybe a couple of cows, you know, so they would have maybe what can would be considered a mini farm and then uh myself i just lived in a rural town and was around a you know around the farming community it was so satisfying yeah i grew up on what i would call a hobby farm or a mini farm either way i love the kind of transition in terms to mini farm versus hobby farm i think that's very empowering to folks who choose that but don't, it's it's more than a hobby it's not just a hobby so i like that term um but we grew up, I, I grew up there and my husband is a sixth generation on his family's farm that we're actually going back to this year. Um, and I, I completely agree. It's just so cool to be part of your community in that way and to learn continuously because there's never an end to the stuff that you can learn when you're <laughs> producing your own food. It's just not unending. So you um, are also a instructor at a local community college. Tell me a little bit about um, what you teach and what you talk about there. Sure. So my, well, I, I mentioned earlier, I stayed at home with my children. They entered school. Um, it really wasn't, I guess, feasible, or I would get bored just being at home by myself without children. So I went back to school and I got my math teaching degree. And so I've always had this fascination and love of just numbers. And then I've always had this other, I would consider it a hobby, but finally career in food because I, you know, I just love to eat and uh, create good food. But uh, anyhow, so I never thought in a million years there'd be a way that I can combine those two passions. And I got the opportunity a couple of years ago, um, Butler got a new, they have a new culinary arts institute, got a new head of the program, Chef Luis Pina. And I met him and um, told him a math background. He knew I was, you know, had my own business and I was getting my own commercial kitchen and he offered me a job to teach their culinary math. And so to most people, culinary math was very boring because they think, what do you, what do, you do with culinary math? Well, I get to take the math skills and I get to create my own labs and get to teach a few recipes using the math so that the students are out of the classroom. And um, so, yeah, I math and I combine culinary and I have one 
class that I teach. And then I myself had had the opportunity to go through the most of the culinary arts program myself because I assisted with a visually impaired student. And so I got to take a lot of the classes. So now mine's even, you know, focus more culinary and more math. And, you know, even the way that I do stuff personally with my own business, everything's, everything's math. I weigh everything, everything's percentages, cost cards, just, just everything. So, um, it's evolving. So you're kind of at the beginning of this, I guess, evolution in my mind of combining math and culinary and learning more and doing more with math and my business. And so it's kind of a whirlwind some days. Yeah, I bet. Well, it sounds like a really cool opportunity to get to teach math in that way. Culinary math is not a term that I've heard before. I heard you talk about it. So tell us something that you wish more people knew about culinary math. So with culinary math, um, for instance, if you think of people who bake bread, you know, you're just baking it a little bit in your home, you're following a recipe, but you could give five people that same recipe and I guarantee it would come out a little bit different each time. And the main reason is we all measure differently with measuring, measuring cups. But if you standardize that recipe where it's by weight and then you go on to what's called baker's percentages, you can scale the recipe up, down, and it should taste the same every time because everybody is putting the exact same weight of ingredients. So that's one way I do it. I also do shows like we do carrots and, um, you know, different, you know, and then even just how do you run a food business without knowing how to do cost cards? And I did that prior and I could tell you, I didn't, I had a food trailer. I still have a food trailer, but more figured out, but now I need time to do it. Um, okay. that's, it's so interesting because I have not been baking for very long and I have had terrible, terrible luck getting bread recipes to work out. Um, I think for one, I tried a lot of them during the winter and it's so cold in our house that they would, mm-hmm. I could not for the life of me, get them to rise. Um, but I've been thinking that I need to try to do things by weight instead and see if I have better luck that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of it's your temperature too, um, and what kind of yeast you use as well. And so there's a few different factors involved as well. Yeah. I have picky eaters in my home too. So that also factors in. It's like, it has to be just right or nobody's going to eat it except me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. So you said when you guys purchased your farm, you got started with chickens. Tell us more about what all you have now and kind of what that growth looked like. Okay. Yeah. So we did just chickens and I sold a few dozen eggs and it was kind of, it was kind of nice. It's like we got this little tiny bit of income off the farm and basically didn't cover anything but the feed cost. So it's kind of like we got to eat our chicken eggs for free because we sold enough eggs to cover the feed cost. So that was kind of really our goal is that we could, I don't know, in a way, just eat for free. You know, we've not really been looking at that time to turn a profit, but we needed to turn a profit in order to continue growing the farm. You know, we realized that as we went forward, it's like, okay, how are we going to grow unless we do turn a profit? And initially I thought, gosh, profit seems so selfish or seems so, it was hard to admit that you're in business because you do want to earn a profit. So I over that hurdle in my mind because it just seemed like it was greed to me and and you know things like that and so we started with the chicken eggs and um we you know there was every once in a while if we had a chicken that seemed you know like it wasn't producing we had fried chicken so you know we we used the whole animal um and then we we have some i don't know sand plums on our property and i i like to make sand plum jelly and i would initially just give it away because i just thought you know i just um 
it's just too good not to share. And so I had a friend that owns the pumpkin patch outside of Augusta. And she said, do you really need to be selling your stuff? And I have an outdoor market. Please come and sell. And I was like, I just, I have a hard time doing that. She goes, I will give you a booth space. So she gave me the booth space and, you know, even a week or two before I thought, I just can't do it. I mean, I was really doubting myself because it just, to me, it seems selfish to want to go out there and make money when I'd already been giving my stuff away. But on the other hand is like, yeah, there's things we want to do on the farm. And how are we going to cover that extra income? Do I really want to go work extra hours or do I want, you know, I'm still working, but it's just for myself instead. So I thought, okay, I'll take it out there. So I took some jars of sand plum jelly, a couple dozen loaves of pumpkin bread, two items of mine, and I sold out. And I was like, oh, wow, people really might buy this sort of stuff. And so we still, you know, we saw this goal of this self-sustainability and, and you know, we had the garden and, you know, we were just doing a few small animal type things and um, the value added stuff just, just took over. So we're not really where we are or we're not where we want to be with our farm right now because we basically, my husband he didn't quit working on the farm. I mean, he works full time, but he, he had to pause a lot of his farm projects to come and help me because I just, things just took over the past, you know, exploded to the point we need, we bought a commercial kitchen and uh, it just went crazy. I quit a full-time job, except I do, you know, kept the adjunct part at Butler. And so now just this year, we're kind of, we're kind of turning it back to the farm where he's, I have an employee now he's at home more. And so we're trying to figure out those, things that we can grow or raise that can be cycled through the commercial kitchen. So one one instance is we have a very small herd of black Angus cattle. We maybe butcher two a year, maybe three at the most. And we just, we just don't have very many. And it's a new herd as well. And so what we do is we um, do the USDA processing and we get it, a lot of it processed into ground beef. And I use those for beer ox. So that's one item that we're raising on our farm. And then I'm taking it to the commercial kitchen and turning it into a product. So we want to find more and more of those products that we can actually have on the farm or partner with other individuals that, you know, because I feel like life's a journey, not a competition. So what are other people raising or growing that maybe I can cycle through my kitchen and where they get credit for that? And it's not just about me, but it's like, okay, such and such grew this and we created this product. And this is like a joint venture between these two individuals. I think that's really the only way to grow and be able to do all the things you want to do without completely ruining your life by having absolutely no time or money to do anything at all. <laughs> is to do that right. crazy approach. Um, that's really cool. When you guys first started, did you ever dream that you would have a commercial kitchen and be doing all of this like value-added processed or value-added um, foods? I'm sorry, it's cutting out on me again. Oh, no worries. No worries. I was just saying when you guys got started, did you ever dream you'd have a commercial kitchen and be doing all of these value-added foods that you're selling to your community? No, not at all. I mean, it was just one of those, it, it, it was a hobby, you know, and, and I, um, I knew there was cottage kitchen law. So I stuck with the jellies because that's what I could do out of my house. But then it just started growing and evolving. And I just, there were so many other foods I like to make. And I'm like, well, one of these, it, it, after the jellies kind of is like, well, if I had a commercial kitchen or maybe I could rent one, then maybe I could add this product or this product. Well, then it just kept growing so much. It's like, we just started looking for a building, um, we consider building here arm, but uh, we didn't want that, you know, taxes are the big thing. You know, I did not want to have part of my farm 
be taxed at the commercial rate. So we found an already existing commercial building, gutted it, and turned it into our commercial kitchen. So um, it's it's good and it's bad. I mean, there's there's days I would just like to just be on the farm all day, even if it was in a building, so I could just look outside. And then, but on the other hand, it's like, well, I get a break. You know, I I don't have to. I'm at least getting away from, I guess, now work, but, you know, I, I don't know. So it's a blessing and a curse in a way. It's it's nice to get away a little bit, but there's other days I would just, I kind of wish my kitchen was on the farm now because then I could just be here. Yeah. I feel like it's so hard to manage that balance as you grow and things change in your business um, to still be what makes you happy and balance that with all of the other legal hoops you have to jump through as far as regulations and taxes and making sure you're all making a profit. It's it's so hard as you if you grow fast to balance all of that. Yes. What does that look definitely. like for you guys? Um a lot of long nights, that's for sure. So um I finally have an employee in my kitchen, which is very nice. Like she's she's working over at the kitchen right now while I'm visiting with you. And, um, so it's good that I can just kind of get that away time, but I will be going out with her tonight and I may be there till 10 or 11, 12 at night. So right now I don't, I'm, we're managing fine, but it's still a lot of hours, but it's fine because we do have these goals, things we want to accomplish. And I'd rather work 80 hours for myself than 40 hours for somebody else. So it's just, you know, you know, I know that, what I'm producing, I'm going to get a break from a little bit when I, you know, go to farmer's market, I talk to people, I enjoy it, you know, and I go out, but, um, there's also the flexibility, you know, if I was working another job for somebody else, I wouldn't have been able to stop in the middle of the day and say, Hey, I got to, you know, interview with Lexi Wright for the podcast. But since I work for myself, I can just tell my employee, Hey, you can finish this. So I'm going to run home and, you know, take care of things. And so, you know, I think that's a good balance because I do have that flexibility and I can manage my own time. Yeah, that makes it a little bit easier to at least know that even if you're working more hours than you would maybe want to, you're doing it for your own, to forward your own goals, make your own choices. Right. And it's, and another thing we'd like to involve our kids more, they're all adults. So they didn't really, they were teenagers when we bought the farm. So they didn't really get to grow up on the farm, you know? So I feel like they, uh, I don't know. They didn't get that taste real well of what farm life should be like. Cause when we first got the farm, it was so overgrown. We were putting in a lot of work. We didn't have a lot of the animals. We didn't have a lot of the structure and we're still trying to get there. I mean, there's still a lot of cleanup, a lot that we need to do. Cause we've only been out here since 2016. And like I said, for a couple of years in a row, my husband wasn't doing his projects that he wanted to do. But, um, I mean, I think it took us three years to finish our outdoor, outdoor chicken pen. It just got done. Cause he had time, you know, to finish that. And um, our, none of our kids live at home, but they're actually starting to help out a little bit more. They're kind of taking notice. They're starting to pay attention and they're not. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, chickens coming home to roost. It's exciting that the kids are starting to gain some interest in what we're doing here. That is cool. What are they most excited about or what are they most interested in that you guys have done? Well, for um, one thing that um, we... We don't have them yet. We'd like to get some meat chickens. We've always done the layers. And like I said, we've eaten them, you know, a couple of them, but we want the specific meat layers. Well, our son, he, um, middle son, he was a uh, butcher for four years. And so he would maybe like to do some meat chickens. So there's a few things that he's kind of looking at. Talked to somebody about some sheep the other day. So he's kind of interested a little bit in the animals. 
And then my daughter, on the other hand, she did go through the culinary arts program herself while she was in high school and graduated with uh, with her culinary arts degree. And so now she's kind of coming around where she's noticing the, the foods that were being produced and, you know, taking to the markets and the different things we're doing. And so she's kind of maybe interested in that aspect. So it's kind of nice. We've got, and then we've got a third son that, um, he's kind of interested in whatever we throw him into. <laughs> so, um, he, he's a police officer, so he works really, really weird hours. So it's harder for him to, you know, maintain a schedule, but it's kind of nice. We've got one that's really interested in farm work, you know, help, you know, more of a help to my husband. And then the other that's interested in the food, which would be more of a help to me. So that's awesome. It's so much fun when you can work with family that way. Yes, that's for sure. Um, I heard you say that you guys wanted to be more self-sustainable. And I think that means a lot of different things to people, depending on their experience with kind of like, say, self-sustainable projects. Um, What does that mean to you guys? Well, for instance, with the, you know, they talk about inflation and the economy. And yes, our feed costs have gone up. But I feel like in a way, if you are sustaining your own products, you're growing your own gardens, you're raising your own beef, you will have some added costs. But inflation, I don't feel like hits our pocketbooks as much because I don't have to go pay five bucks a dozen for eggs. I go out to my chicken coop and I get my own eggs. We have a few different cows. We milk two of them. If you know, if the shells are empty, I don't have to worry about not having milk to drink. I don't have to worry about not having eggs. I don't have to worry about you know, not having beef in my freezer. So we're sustainable in that we don't have to depend on the supply chain to provide for our own food. Yeah. Um, What are some of the things that have made the biggest difference for you guys in your kind of journey to be more and more self-sustainable? Well, I mean, especially with COVID, you just go to the grocery store and the shelves are empty, you know, and people are panicking. And, you know, it's just like, I don't want to live in my life in fear. So... I need to take control of my own life and not depend on the big corporations to feed me myself. You know, I mean, it used to be that we used to have local food hubs and everybody got their food locally. And, you know, where, where did that, I guess, where did that break down? How can we connect with others? Cause there's a lot of people growing food. There's a lot of people growing beef. There's a lot of people doing this stuff. If we would come together, our community is not going to have to worry about what happens in, you know, the coast to not get us the food that we need to sustain ourselves. So, you know, why do we have to look so far away for food when it's right here in our backyard? Mm, Yeah. Hey, it's Lexi here, and I'm interrupting the show to tell you about a new option we have for marketing support for you. I've met so many people the past six months who are looking for DIY marketing support. And while I primarily offer marketing packages and website design in my marketing business, I'm excited to have something just for you DIYers too. So I know you need answers quickly to help you overcome tech challenges and get feedback on your marketing content when you have a spare minute to work on it. And you want to keep growing and learning how to make your marketing work in a way that makes sense for you. Here's what I've got for you. First, you can sign up for a free marketing toolkit, which includes social media post templates, email marketing outlines, video ideas, and a content planner and tracker. And to get tutorials and answers to those pressing questions, sign up for our weekly marketing tutorials for just $10 a month, where we tackle your most frustrating challenges together. Or sign up for the marketing support line, 
where you get direct access via text message to ask all of your tech support and marketing advice questions. It's like having a marketing and tech support person in your back pocket. We solve website issues, social media challenges, and just give feedback on the content you're creating. You can find those options at LexiWrightConsulting.com slash social under marketing support. Um, the You mentioned that you guys have started with two milk cows. When did you get those? April 1st. April. So we haven't had them very long. So, yeah. so I've just had them a couple of months. Yeah. Well, we and are looking, stressful a little bit too. Yeah. We're looking at getting one ourselves. Um, I've been waiting and waiting. I've been wanting to get one for over a year now, but it hasn't been the right time. So you have to tell me what your experience has been like so far and what kind of cows you have and all the details. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we do have a couple of Jersey cows and then a baby Jersey. And so we um, milk two of them. The experience is that it tastes wonderful. I, we leave the cream on it. Uh, we, we can do some on-farm milk cells. So we've met a lot of nice people that have come out for milk. And so that's been great. But on the other hand, I've had less time at the kitchen, which this time of the year is not good. And so the time involved, um, you know, we kind of did a fill out for a farmhand. Um, it's hard to find help. And so uh, we do milk twice a day and it's like, okay, you have to, you have to do that or they're going to dry up. And, um, I mean, we realized all that going in, but we really thought we'd be able to find a farm hand and it just has not panned out. Um, it, the worst part is just making sure everything's clean. I mean, of course you want to make it clean. It takes longer to actually do the cleanup of the equipment than it does to actually milk the cows themselves. So, um, the time involved, the time commitment, that's the downfall. The rest of it's just great. So I'm just kicking around a few ideas, you know, of like, okay, how can we keep the cows and, you know, I don't know, still have a little bit more time. So I, I don't know, I've got to, today on Facebook, I put an ad, what about a cow share program where somebody pays like 50 bucks a month, they bring their own portable milking equipment and that's their time. They can come every Saturday, milk the cow, and that's their milk. So it's kind of like they work for their own milk. And so I've actually got one message already of somebody interested. So I thought, you know, if I could get a few slots filled that way where somebody then, you know, somebody that, maybe like you, if you live close to me, you're like, man, I'd really like to have my own cow, but I'd like that experience for a month or two. Then you could come out every Saturday evening, bring your milking equipment, because it's not very much on Amazon, and milk the cow for a couple months and keep all the milk that you're getting just to see, yeah, I'd really like to have my own cow. Now I'm going to go and do this. Or no, I think just doing this one day a week is plenty, and that gives us plenty of milk for the week. So it's kind of a way to give somebody an opportunity to see if they want to have their own cow and it helps us because it would relieve us of our time because um you know the cow share person they don't have to buy the feed they don't have to do anything i mean we have the feed rations already ready they just come and they you know we teach them how to milk the cow and then they would come at their designated time once a week that's a brilliant idea if we lived closer i would 100 percent do that <laughs> i would take you up on yeah that. so yeah because I, I don't want to get rid of the cows um Part of it, it really hit me yesterday. Um, I have a one-year-old granddaughter, and so she's walking now. And I and I was, um, my son came and brought her by the kitchen, and I said, "Oh, have you guys been to the park here in Leon?" And they're like, "No." And I said, "He goes, where is it?" And I said, "Oh, it's up this way and this way." He goes, I said, "You should stop when you're leaving town." I stopped in my tracks. I said, "You know what? I'm going to go with you guys." So I just stopped what I did, and I went for the hour, and I thought. 
I can't, I have got to quit being so busy because my family's, you know, I've got a granddaughter that's one now and she's walking. And so we were walking across the park and she was holding her dad's hand and she looked at me, kind of grinned and grabbed my hand too for just a second. I'm like, I would have missed this if I would have stayed in my kitchen. And I know being tied to the cows, I'm missing some stuff because they want to go to Silver Dollar City. How can I go to Silver Dollar City? I got to milk twice a day. So that's the downfall I'm kind of struggling with right now, but I don't want to get rid of the cows. So I got to find a good balance. That balance is hard to find. I, my, I have four kids that are under six years old and I feel like I am someone who needs to work. I, I need to. Um, and I struggle mm-hmm. constantly with that feeling that I'm missing things. But at the same time, I like I would not be as good of a mom if I wasn't doing what I'm passionate about. So it's like oh, a constant, constant war of what's more important at the moment. Yes, yes. Well, um, let's talk some more about food accessibility, food education, feeding your local community. We touched on it just a little bit when you talked about how you know, being more self-sustainable and having those food resources in your community, not having to look elsewhere makes us more food secure um, in our local communities. How did you come to like start thinking about all of this? You talked about COVID a little bit and what are you doing to try to benefit your community in that way? So, I mean, I don't know if I've just always felt this way or you know, I think the older you get, I don't know, maybe it's the grumpier I get. I don't know what it is, but you just kind of get in tune with like what's going on in your surroundings. You know, sometimes you just go through life and you just go through life and, you know, it's like, you know, you go to the store, you buy this, you get what you need and you just keep going, you know, and I've been there too. I've been caught up in that. But lately I've just been more, I guess, obsessed with a little bit of food packaging as well at the store. I mean, you go in and you just, I don't know, look at the shelves. Is that really food? Is all the product Processed food, really food. If you cannot pronounce, I don't know. I feel like if you can't pronounce the ingredients and it's got twenty ingredients just for say like Cheez Its, it's probably not really food. It's not. It's not healthy. So I've just been like, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I've just been on this kick a little bit more about like wanting to know where my food comes from. I mean, I know where my food comes from now, but I'm like, do other people think this way? Am I just you know, am I insane? But like, I literally went to Dylan's the other day and I was hungry. They say never to shop hungry but I walked through the store and I'm like, there's nothing that's really saying I need to grab it and eat because I just felt like it was almost, I don't know, some sort of poison or something. I don't know. I, I it was just a moment that I had. And so I ended up grabbing a bag of carrots. So it filled me up by the, you know, I had enough carrots that it was fine by the time I got home, but it was like, I don't want a candy bar. I don't want chips. I don't want, you know, I don't know what to put in deli meat, you know? And it just, um, there's just so many things that have been going on my around in my mind about some of the things that we put in our bodies and we call it food but it's not really food I don't think so anyhow I've just like I said this is just the beginning that I've met you and I'm starting to think about these things and trying to do more of these things and um you know I don't I don't know how you convey that to the community that um, some of the foods is not really truly food I mean we're just kind of you know whatever Walmart and Dillard's gives us that's what we've got but there's more to it than that really it really is. And it's such a hard conversation to navigate, I feel like, because there are so many things that our food influences. Like, it's not just the food that we go and buy at the store. If it was that simple, 
it would be like we we wouldn't have to think about it that much but it, it affects like there's so many things that affects of making sure that people have access to food that they can afford the food that the food is healthy that we know where it came from that you know it's just like this constant web i feel like that just expands and for me it's just like every time i sit down to think about it i'm like oh but what about this or what about this or what you know it's like mm-hmm it's so complicated. It is such a complex system. And I know I understand very little of it. And I've been trying to understand it probably for the past 20 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, and it's also, I mean, to me, it's frustrating to eat healthy is more expensive than to eat the junk processed food. And, you know, you have people out there that did not learn how to cook, did not learn how to you know, and it's no fault of their own. We just don't teach that anymore at schools. You know, it's it's not it's not readily available that, you know, how to cook and prepare good, healthy foods. But if you decide, okay, I want to eat healthy and you're on a limited budget, you're not going to be able to afford that. It's just easier to go to the frozen food section and grab a dollar burrito and, you you know, it, it fills that hunger need, but it does not fill the health need. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely right. And our lifestyles, wow. I mean, when you start trying to look at preparing more foods from scratch at home, just fitting that into your day-to-day life and still being able to feed yourself and your family is so hard because it's we've gotten so used to filling that time with all the uh, these other things, work and extracurriculars. And it's it's so hard to make that commitment to saying, okay, I do want to eat healthier. I want to eat more foods that are whole or have less ingredients in them. And then actually putting that into practice, it's like, oh my gosh, I could spend my whole time, my whole day doing this. <laughs> um, crackers and chips, I've noticed in our family, like my kids love them, obviously. What kid doesn't? But that's one thing that I'm like, I that would make a huge difference in our diets if I was able to replace that with a better alternative for them, like a homemade version um, or that just I knew more what was in it. But when you sit down and try to do that, it's like, okay, so I'm going to make these sourdough discard crackers. So I have to, you know, it's just such a whole process. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I I wish I had all the answers, but I don't. (laughs) I know. I don't either. And it's just, I'm glad to have other people that think about these kinds of things to talk to. I, You said, um, you know, you wonder like, oh, am I insane that I think about all these things? I don't think so. I think it's crossing more and more people's minds anymore that just, you know, what other options are out there besides what we have always gone to the store and bought. Great. So, so anyways, I guess, you know, to make change, it starts with me. Maybe it'll spread to my children. Maybe it'll spread to my grandchildren. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a friend. But, you know, and then, I'll, you know, it, it circles back to all of us working together. Mm. You know, maybe who's growing what and how can we get to, you know, a healthier, you know, we don't go out to eat very often, but for instance, um, for me, it's easy, you know, you spend so much money on a meal out to eat and you look at the salad selection or the loaded salad selection and that, that healthy menu is often more expensive than just getting a nice whole steak and baked potato and a side salad. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard for me to get in my mind, like, why should I pay $15 for this loaded salad? when I could just get a steak salad and baked potato for maybe 10 or 12, you know? And so right. I find myself even, you know, thinking I'm going to go with the cheaper option 
versus the healthy option, you know, when we do go out to eat too. So it's just, you know, the healthier the food, it seems like the more expensive it is. Yeah. Well, let's go back to um, your quote that really struck a chord with me at the conference. Um, You mentioned that, you know, we grow a lot of tomatoes in Kansas. And if you give a person or sell a person a tomato, but they don't know how to use it, did you really feed them? What goes into um, kind of your thought process behind that or what led you to start thinking about that? Um, Just because, I mean, I see... I myself grew up in poverty and I know that um, I don't remember a lot of what my family cooked or anything, but I know, you know, it was maybe macaroni and cheese, you know, I know it was a lot of processed stuff and I was the pickiest eater. I'm greatly expanding my palate now, now that I'm in culinary, like I'm not, I don't think I'm picky at all anymore. I'll try anything. But uh, I just remember that um, when I met my husband, so, you know, he grew up, I admission he grew up in Southern Arkansas and then they would have a big garden and they had a couple of cows for a while. I think they had like maybe 20 acres. So, you know, it wasn't real big. Um, but him and I, we ate completely different. I would eat meat, potatoes, corn, and bread. That, that was my like diet. Or, and I couldn't have any of my food touching him. He would want fresh tomato, like all these vegetables. And I thought, that is so disgusting. That's weird. I mean, why do you want to, that? That just doesn't even taste right, you know, but he still loves, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables, but that's how he was raised. They ate what was grown because he also grew up poor. So they grew up poor, but they grew their own food that they ate. I grew up poor. We ate the food that we could get off of food stamps, commodities, or the cheapest food on the store. So my eating habits were considerably different than his. And, you know, and then as I, as I got older and started thinking about it and deciding I wanted to do more healthy stuff, um, it did evolving in my mind. Maybe, maybe my parents were given food and maybe my mom didn't know how to prepare. You know, I just started, you know, having these conversations in my mind, like, I don't know, what came in the commodity box and i know we we had those like green food stamps at the time but i don't i don't remember them ever really buying fruits and vegetables and stuff, so i don't know if it's they didn't you know maybe my mom didn't know how to prepare it or it was just easier to eat the other type of food so it was just one of those things like you know you, you talk about um oh was it the plan row for hungry and it's like okay I, I don't know if they had anything like that as a kid maybe my parents did get fruits and vegetables. We just didn't eat them or they didn't know what, you know, I just started thinking about how I grew up, my husband grew up, our different eating habits. And I just started wondering if maybe people didn't know how to, you know, use the food. I I, I don't know. I just kind of, just kind of one of those things I just thought about. Yeah. I think it's really interesting because I'm similar to you. I did not eat a lot of fresh foods growing up. Um, and I did I don't know if it was lack of knowledge of how to prepare them or because they knew that they were like less filling, that that's just not what the the primary option was. Um, But now I am a very picky eater and I don't try a lot of those things. Um, Even now that I'm like, well, I can grow them, but who is going to eat them if I do grow them? Because that's not in our (laughs) diet. Um. So yeah, just learning how to incorporate those things and find ways that we, my family will eat them so we can kind of try to slowly shift our diet towards some of those things is, is interesting to think about. 
Um, I think we've covered a lot of ground today. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you were like really thinking about as you we got ready for this or that you really wanted to touch on today? Um, not that I can think of. I mean, like I said, we're we're at the beginning. So my conversation with you, if we did it in two years, it would probably be something totally different. Um, you know, it, we're just at that point where I've only been in my kitchen for a year. And so my husband's had the time just this year, 2023, to really get back to the farm because I, I didn't get my employee till the latter part of 2022. And so he's home more. I'm at the kitchen more. So he's working on projects that need be done here while I'm working on the kitchen stuff. So we're trying to just just get that together. We're also, you know, at the point where we're trying to find those like-minded individuals. You know, how can we help each other? What can we do? And uh, you know, we're just we're just at the beginning, and so um, there's a lot of things we want to accomplish and do. And I feel like sometimes I just throw spaghetti at the wall and see, you know, see what sticks. And that's kind of what I what I do because I I mean I. I and I'm bored doing the same thing over and over again. But, uh, you know, sometimes you do have to do the same thing over and over again to accomplish something as well. True, true. Well, I hope maybe in the next two years we can come back together again and hear all about how your business has grown again. I would love that. Um, in the meantime, where can people find you, learn more about you um, and your products? So we do have a website. It's www.bruce's bullseyefarms.com all one word we have a facebook page so we can it's at bruce's bullseye farms uh, people can send me messages through there they can also call or text me because i would you know i'd be more happy to visit with anybody and that's um 316-841-1592 comes directly to me and, and then we're at farmer's market so we do the 21st and ridge market in wichita we're there every saturday and we do get moved around quite a bit because we're not like a we're a member, but we don't have like a permanent stall space. And then my husband usually goes down to Derby on Saturdays. And then we also are in charge of the El Dorado Farmer's Market. And that's twice a month throughout the summer. So, and then we've been doing the Maze Farmer's Market. So I'm, I'm out in the community a lot. And then even at my commercial kitchen, people are like, what's your hours? I'm like, well, I don't really have regular hours, but my vehicle's there. Just stop on in or call me for an appointment because I just... I don't know. I just can't have regular retail hours till the holidays. I just have too many, too many irons in the fire for that. So anyhow. If um, somebody wanted to try one of your products for the first time, what should they try first? Oh dear. Depends on what they're in the mood for. Like I do, like if they want a meal, then one of my homemade beer rocks, um, I do a half pound beer rock. The dough is totally from scratch. Um, if they want something sweet, like one of our jams, here in about a month, I should have sand plum jelly, but I do have other flavors. That's always been the big one. And um, I don't know if they like something spicy. I do have some spicy jams, apple butters. So, you know, uh, it just it just varies day to day, it seems like. <laughs> well, good. I think that gives people lots of really good options then. So I will include links to where people can find you in the show notes. And I just really appreciate you taking the time to chat today. And I hope some people local in your area discover you for the first time because of this. All right. Well, thank you. I sure appreciate you having me. I've been enjoy talking to you. Good. Thanks, Lori. Do you know someone building their ag legacy or with stories of yesteryear on the farm that need to be shared? Please let us know or help them apply to be a guest on the show at farmingonpurpose.com guest. 
If you've enjoyed spending time with us today, please take a moment to review the show on Apple Podcasts or give us a share on social media. You can follow the host of Farming on Purpose, Lexi, at, at Farming on Purpose on all social media. And let us know what topics you want to hear more about.